Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Listening to U.S. Defense Watch Radio on the front lines of truth and liberty. This is Ray Starman, your host of U.S. Defense Watch Radio. I'm also the editor in chief and founder of usdefensewatch.com, a site that's been around for about two years that covers national defense, national security, and politics with a conservative, politically incorrect viewpoint. And I think in today's world of 2017, everybody needs a politically incorrect viewpoint as the left is bombarding us with one politically correct subject of nonsense after another. We've got a great show today, an hour long. Today's subject is 100 men and women will test today and 100 wear the green beret. We're going to be talking about the past, present, and the future of the U.S. Army Special Forces, a.k.a. the Green Berets, with former Green Beret, retired Chief Warrant Officer Henry Hank Hunt. Chief Hunt will be joining us in a few minutes on U.S. Defense Watch uh, to talk about what's been going on down at Fort Bragg and a letter written by several members of the training cadre out there, which basically, uh, they basically launched a scathing attack on the lowering of standards. And Mr. Hunt will be getting into that uh, probably in about five or ten minutes. There's been a a pretty busy day in the news across the globe. There was a... uh, major Amtrak derailment in Tacoma, Washington. Right now, if you, uh, Drudge is doing a pretty good job of covering it. Right now, it's about 83 people listed as uh, seriously injured. Uh, six or seven people have been killed. And the Amtrak uh, wreck is just another shining example of something President Trump has been talking about now since he actually ran for office, started running for office, about the disastrous state of the infrastructure in the United States, and is really something that uh, that really needs to be addressed. Uh, it's not actually even a left left wing or right wing subject. It's actually an American subject. Uh, the the rail system in the United States, the road system, is obviously, as everybody knows, that's on it every day, is in a dire straits. And Congress needs to do something about that. Congress needs to do something about just about everything. In fact, what what are they doing? Well, they're do, they, that, they have the tax reform. They did that. Well, we'll see how far that goes along. But this infrastructure uh, thing is, is this this thing might hopefully finally be a wake up call 
and get uh, Mr. Ryan and Mr. McConnell off their butts to do something. I guess Paul Ryan's not going to be Speaker of the House too much longer. He's going to be leaving Congress, and he'll obviously be going on to – he said he's going to leave Washington. I doubt Mr. Ryan will be leaving Washington. He'll be going on to a million-dollar, multi-million-dollar lobbyist job. His wife is a lobbyist, and it'll be goodbye Eddie Munster, who did nothing. And the same thing with Senator McConnell, who's done nothing as well, except cost the people of Alabama a Senate seat. And that's a subject for another day about Judge Roy Moore. The other subjects of the news, there's a lot of stuff going on today, especially at the Robert Mueller witch hunt. It's not a special counsel. It's not an investigation. It's a Chilean military junta kangaroo court. I mean, I don't know what else needs to come out to impress upon the American people that this is not a fair investigation. How many more Clinton hacks, Democratic disciples, and liberal fools have to be rooted out of the FBI hierarchy for once and for all to show that uh, that this is basically uh, designed for one reason only, to get Donald Trump out of office. The Democrats cannot win an election, honestly, in the United States. So, therefore, they started the whole Russian collusion thing. What What bit of evidence have they shown in the last year that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians? They've got Paul Manafort on some tax nonsense from 10 years ago. General Flynn uh, from lying to the FBI, but that's uh, dubious at best. Uh, apparently his interview was uh, dubious at best. And, and, and where's all this going? Where's all this going? Well, everybody knows where it's going. Mueller is going to come up with some kind of indictment on some phony fantasy land charges of obstruction of justice, and they're going to tell President Trump that he's got to go. That's what's coming. I don't know when it's coming. Maybe it's going to come before Christmas. And Robert Mueller is going to be the Grinch. He's going to land on top of the White House, right down the chimney, President Trump's indictment. Merry Christmas, Mr. President, from the globalists and the liberal establishment and every hack in left-wing media, like Morning Joe. Uh, who was calling for an insurrection, by the way, this morning, if President Trump cans Robert Mueller, and God, I hope he does, and that is the rumor. You heard it here on U.S. Defense Watch. That is the rumor that this actually may happen in the next week, maybe this Saturday, that Robert Mueller is going to be fired as the special consul and the head of the Chilean military junta uh, investigation on, quote, Russian collusion. Anybody who's been in the military or intelligence knows about the term Moskarovka. It's a Russian word. So it means deception, deceiving your enemies, creating a story, series of stories, perhaps camouflaging something. Well, that's what the whole Russian collusion investigation is. It's one giant Moskarovka. But it goes on. And the question that Another question people are probably asking themselves every day is where is Jeff Sessions? Jeff Sessions is, is, is becoming the 2017 version of Floyd the Barber, who's sitting and is falling asleep in his barber chair in, in downtown Mayberry. Somebody needs to wake him up. On the other hand, there's, there's, the, there's the chance that maybe Jeff Sessions is just playing possum. 
maybe Jeff Sessions is just playing possum and that he really is up to something. That's a possibility, too. That is a possibility, too. We will see. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, My the sources say that uh, something could be going on this weekend. Mr. Mueller uh, may be packing his bags before he has a chance to metamorphosize into the Grinch in the coming weeks. Here's another story from Boston University. There's a center of all-American thought and conservative uh, doctrine. Uh, according to Professor Kynan Hamill, the song Jingle Bells is apparently racist. Now, you figure out how Jingle Bells is racist. Let's we go over that. Dashing through the snow, I don't see anything racist in that. In a one-horse open sleigh, I'm not sure where, how a sleigh can be racist. Through the fields we go, fields, moving through a field. Dash, laughing all the way doesn't sound racist to me. Bells on bobtails sing, making spirits bright. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a slang song tonight. That doesn't sound too racist to me, but to everything to a liberal is racist if they don't like it. Today, the liberals in America today are not Democrats. This is not the Democratic Party of John F. Kennedy, of old man Dick Daly. These people are Marxists, and they want to do away with conservative thought, conservative talk radio like U.S. Defense Watch, conservative TV and radio shows like with Sean Hannity. It'll do it any way they can. It'll do it any way we can. And coming up on U.S. Defense Watch, as I said before, our guest today is Chief Warrant Officer Henry Hank Hunt. And I'm going to do it before Mr. Hunt joins us in a couple minutes. I want to go through, talk about his biography. Hank has done just about everything that you can do in the United States military. He enlisted in 1972 and joined Special Forces, 3rd Battalion, 11th Special Forces Group. He originally served as a demo sergeant. Hank also served as an engineering sergeant, a team heavy weapons specialist, and the team intel sergeant. And Tank was also a graduate of the Special Forces Operations and Intelligence course, what he claims academically the hardest course ever been through, and I believe him. The Army has some tough courses, apparently no more, though. But when he went through it, it was tough. Hank has trained with a variety of U.S. and NATO Special Forces units. He trained with the 75th Ranger Regiment, 160th SOAR, the 82nd Airborne, the Air Force CCT, the PJs, Marine Recon, and as far as NATO units, he's trained with the famous British SAS, the German GSG-9, and the Italian Special Forces and Greek Special Forces. In 1995, he joined the 20th Special Forces Group, where he served as the executive officer for Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 20th Special Forces Group. Chief Hunt is also a graduate of the Special Forces SEER Instructor Course. The NATO International LERPs, or International Long Range Reconnaissance School, in Wiengarten, Germany. The SEER Battlefield Survival School. And numerous aviation recognition and Soviet Air uh, Forces as well. Chief Hunt then transferred over to Army Aviation, where he served in Desert Storm with the 4th Squadron, 7th Cavalry, as a Cobra pilot. He also served in Kosovo, Yugoslavia in, 20, in 2005 with the 278th 
uh, Armored Cavalry Regiment on the Tennessee National Guard. He's also worked in a number, a myriad of civilian jobs, ranging from a paramedic to firefighter. He's also a fire suppression pilot for the Georgia Forestry Commission. And when we come back, we'll be joined with Chief Henry Hunt on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. And we'll be right back. Hello. Hey, Hank, hold on a second, buddy. Give me a good lead in here. Stand by. We're live on U.S. Defense Watch Radio with Chief Warrant Officer Henry Hank Hunt. Hank, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you, Ray. How you doing? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for joining us. We've been on here about uh, six or seven minutes. I I gave the audience a little lead into your uh, your extensive uh biography and your background in special forces and army aviation and uh, your different training that you did with uh, the SAS and GSG-9 Italian special forces and your service with the uh, 4th Squadron 7th Cavalry in the Gulf War Desert Storm. Thanks for joining us. Hank, what we wanted to uh, talk to you about today is the past, present, and future of Army Special Forces, a.k.a. the Green Berets. And Hank, if you could... uh, Possibly just tell us about your, uh, basically, uh, what, what is the mission of Special Forces uh, as you see it and, and in the past? Well, um, uh, Special Forces uh, has uh, several uh, missions uh, that, that they're trained uh, to uh, perform uh, uh, internal foreign Internal defense, FID missions, and uh, strategic reconnaissance, um, and the direct action. And uh, the one thing that they're they're the best at, and uh, better than uh, I would say any of the other special operation forces here in the United States military, is uh, unconventional warfare. So, um, right. And what you're seeing that uh, um, there in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq and uh, and now Africa and have been in the Philippines and all, you know, is uh, is what they're really the best at. Uh, working with uh, indigenous personnel, you know, in foreign countries and everything, and uh, um, and the FID missions also a big deal with the uh, going in to uh, you know to help you know these you know countries and everything build up their their forces and all and be able to uh conduct um um uh, counter guerrilla type you know uh activities and everything. Exactly. Uh that's really what the, 
Go ahead. Now, I was going to say is that uh, one of the things I think the, the public uh, maybe doesn't know or is confused about the Green Berets is that uh, they're not – they can be used in direct action missions, but they are – you know, a, a lot of their mission is, is training – uh, in counterinsurgency, is that, and it's correct? Yeah, um, you know, most of the, uh, <clears throat> the other special op units here in the military, you know, like the Ranger Regiment and the uh, SEALs and uh, some of the uh, Force Recon, Battalion Recon, MARSOP type stuff, they're, uh, everyone's really going into, especially like Army-wise, the Ranger Regiment, they're real heavy on the direct action. That's a, you know, door kicker. Right. And uh, and that's <laughs> that's really what what a lot of guys like doing. You know, it's uh, you know, you get some uh, instant you know uh, response out of what's going on when you're kicking those doors and uh, going after the bad guys and everything. It's not so much when you're in doing the the FID mission or UW that that you'll get in there and, you know, you'll have to stay out there and, and, you know, live with the, you know, the, the locals and everything and, and, uh, train up and all that's kind of, that's not as, I think myself and most other folks would think that's not as exciting, but, uh, that's really the, uh, the bread and butter is getting out there and working with your locals, you know, and and training them how to, to fight and, and protect themselves and everything. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, so like you just showed that, uh, or you just played the music there from the movie The Green Braves. You can see what they're doing. That's just still, you know, going on today. Yeah, same exactly. Mission, yeah. So, so it, it, we get back. We can talk about quickly the um, before we talk about the special forces training that you went through and what's going on now at Fort Bragg. Uh, the Green Braves really were pretty much born during World War II. Uh, Pretty much the OSS, what that was a precursor OSS, to the CIA, yeah. and uh, and actually the Green Berets. Uh, in World War II, and particularly in Europe, with the uh, the OSS-run Jedburgh teams, which is pretty much uh, kind of what uh, some of the stuff Special Forces does today, where they would send a four-man team into Nazi-occupied Europe to make contact with the French resistance or any of the other resistance units to train them, maybe to participate themselves in sabotage operations against uh, larger conventional forces, or in fact, maybe uh, on, uh, on collection intelligence missions. Hank, how much of the special forces mission right now is strategic reconnaissance? We saw some of that in the Gulf War that they did. Is that, is well, that a small part? Or I, I really wouldn't be able to give you the, the you know, percentage wise of that. Uh, I'm, Ray, I'm, I'm retired right now and I'm, um, mainly is what what I know of. A lot of it is what you see there on TV or or right. read there, and you know your site and everything, and the other <laughs> sites there. Too. <laughs> so, I, 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 I got but, you. Uh, I got you. I, and I keep you know all of us. There's another thing with special forces. You know, you know, it's kind of like a kind of like the mafia. You know, once in, never out. <laughs> and uh, so we all, you know, we all keep. Um, keep our finger in the pie somewhat and, you know, have all our friends and, and, you know, have our buddies and stuff that are in group and, and, uh, we keep, you know, keep abreast of what's going on because that was such a major part of our lives, you know, for, for, you know, for all us the retired old Greenberg guys and everything. So, exactly. Um, 
Exactly. Uh, the main thing, like I said, they're doing now, it seems like is, uh, like I keep saying, our bread and butter was, you know, going in there and, and training with these uh, indigenous personnel, you know, and, and um, the uh, FID missions and UW missions mainly. The FID, uh, going in there, and li- that that is what really separates us because it is so difficult of a mission and you have to have uh, a real, you have to have a, a, a mindset. Um, I just be honest with you, you've got to be a pretty intelligent kind of guy to be able to, to go in and, and live in a, a foreign country and live, you know, out away from, you know, big army, uh, to be away from the, the you know, all your um uh, your supply trains and stuff, you know, that most regular military units would have, and um, and just live and and eat and sleep and you know and fight, you know, with these you know right. these foreign fighters and everything. It's uh, very very difficult, and uh, you have to you know, learn their language, uh, all their customs, um, and be able to get to make that long with these people. Right. You know, to all the folks that you're trying to train up, and that's not that easy. And um, you have to set the example for these folks and everything. Uh, you don't see special forces guys um, and hear much about them being uh, shot in the back by the, you know, folks there and you know the Middle East and everything. That happens every now and then. But the ones that have to live out there in the in the field or live out there, you know, up in the mountains and stuff. You know, for for months on end, um, you don't. You know, they, they get to be really, really tight with these folks. Just like in Vietnam, you see the special forces in the, the mountain yards, right. you know, and how they they fought, and you know, the the Viet Cong and the NVA and uh, Path of Lao and all these others, uh, and the Khmer Rouge and all, and um, you know, you get that's that what separates us from from. Uh, most of the uh, the other special ops units, and uh, yeah, it takes a, a, a more mature individual, I think, to get out there and, and and be able to to be, you know, out by yourselves with just your, you know, the few Americans and and uh, being able to get along with these folks and uh, turn them into good soldiers, you know. Exactly, and I, I think the other thing is depending on the situation, some of the special forces units in, in whatever country, whatever conflict. You might be separated from the logistics train. Uh, you might be far away from it. We just have to basically survive on what you have, or and, and work with the people that you're you're training. Maybe eat their food, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Hank, when uh, I like you to talk one, about one other thing. Let me, let me let me just say one other thing. You know, not only that, but you know, when you go through, I'll give you a, a little example here. When you go through Special Forces Weapons School, and uh, that was one of my secondary MOSs, light and heavy weapons. Um, that you're not training just on the the best that we have and the newest and uh, all these um, you know new plastic guns and and whatever you know the new technology right. is. Uh, we trained <laughs> when I was there. We were training everything from from crossbows and boat action rifles and everything from uh, United States, uh, Free World, NATO, uh, uh, Soviet. Uh, Chicom, you, you name it, we were training on it, and most of it was really old stuff. 
because that's what most of these these countries have, if they have anything at all. And um, you might be out instead of carrying a the latest M4 carbine with all the lasers and and, and whatever attachments, you be out there carrying a, a M1 Grand or carrying right. a um, an O3 Springfield or or a Mauser or something like that, and and a MG42, and you have to know how to use them and all. And um, that just shows you just a lot of the you have to be able to adapt to. Um, stuff that we've had or years and years ago to be able to do the mission. And they work. Oh, yeah, and they work really good, too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, um, well, actually, what you're just talking about lends me into the, the next topic I wanted to talk about. If you could talk to the audience about uh, the kind of training you went through when you joined in the uh, the early 70s and uh, talk about the uh, Special Forces <clears throat> Q course, if you could kind of highlight that, what you went through. Oh uh, sure, um, you know it's it's for most soldiers. You know, whenever they went through some kind of school or training or whatever, when they went through, that's when that was the last of the hard, you know, schools. You know, and that's gotten easier. And I don't necessarily believe that now with the SF, you know, AS a selection. And I know that's pretty tough and all. Uh, it's damn tough. Um, right. But when I went through back seventy three, seventy four. Um, that we had about a um, a month to two months, uh, what they call pre-phase, and you show up and they just PT the dickens out of you um, in the mornings for a couple of hours, a couple of hours. And right. then you would go what they call the slave market, and you'd get sent off to help somewhere around group and somewhere around uh, JFK there. Um, everything from picking up pine cones, which everybody from Fort Bragg is real familiar with, uh, picking up pine cones, painting rocks for the sergeant major or, or whatever. And then that afternoon you'd have another couple hours of PT, which would about kill you. And uh, then that night you'd be in the barracks and the, the instructors and all would be over there. And they would actually come in and sit down and talk with you. And uh, we'd, we'd go over certain weapon systems and, and just special forces philosophy. And uh, they were getting you ready for phase one. And, uh, and then it was a three-phase um, phase one was out at Camp McCall, uh, which is about oh, 40, 50 miles out of Bragg. And it's um, uh, where the original uh, airborne units came, uh, 82nd, 101st, and all started out there. And it was, when we were there, it was an, uh, just an old abandoned uh, area with a big old World War II abandoned airfield. I mean, they kept the airfield up and we used it for special ops, but there's really nothing out there except some old tar paper shacks and uh it was is it was desolate and uh we started in january in phase one and you have a lot of uh, uh small unit tactics and uh and they just uh, they just pt the hell out of you there not the dickens they pt the hell out of you it it it's something no one forgets that goes through sf that's where a majority of your folks quit uh, if they're going to quit because it's so tough, and it's a little over a month long, it's about five weeks long, and they they get you up every morning about four thirty, five o'clock. You stand out um, for the first couple of weeks. You get up, you stand in formation, 
and um, you sing the Ballad of the Green Berets. They play it over the loudspeaker. There you and, go. Um, you're living in a GP medium tent. We had we didn't have these monster sized classes like they have now. When I was there, we had a uh, our class was like 32 troops and all. And um, McCall was I think where they sent some of the guys to decompress from coming back from Vietnam and whatever. They were every instructor we had was a Vietnam vet, and most of them are recent vets. And uh, right. these were the real. Honest to goodness, they were some real badasses. These guys were, they they were just the the the, the baddest of the bad. And and uh, you know, I'm tell you what, I was as a young you know PFC Spec Four, I was scared to death of them. They these guys were just meaner and 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 as um I, I've never seen anything like that ever in the military. You know, I've trained with just about everybody. But these guys were tough. And uh, they uh, they gave a damn, and uh, we, we, there weren't many of us as students. And these guys, we were almost a one-on-one ratio with our instructors. And in the morning, we were up. We had PT for at least two hours, two and a half hours. And uh, we would run that airfield, which was five-plus miles. And it, uh, part of that is you're running through the sand because it's the sand hill part of called the Sand Hills in North Carolina. It's like running on the beach in the, the the loose sand and all. So I mean, you know, seals don't have anything on that. That's for sure. You know, now, us, now you're about, out doing the. Uh, I was going to ask you, how about uh, you mentioned this before? How about uh, Captain Nick Road? You, you said that you you you. Oh yes, him. yes. Uh, when I was out there, I went to uh, uh, in '85. I went to the uh, Sheer Instructor Course. Um, now they have the SEER course, and uh, the, it's, it's not the instructor course. It's, it's harder. It's actually harder. We were um, we're out there, and, and that was like five or six-week-long course, and I was real lucky to have met Nick Rowe. He was Colonel Rowe. He, that was his last class when he was the officer in charge was uh, the class before mine, but he was still out there, and he he came in and talked to us and all, and uh yeah, he was one of my living heroes there at the time. He, before he was assassinated there in the Philippines, he's That's correct. Um, the the he's man's man right there. And, and wrote a book called Five Years to Freedom." And if anyone hasn't read that, you you need uh, to read that. This talks about his five years not in Hanoi Hilton, but five years there in uh, South Vietnam and uh, living in a tiger cage or whatever. Uh, as a POW, and uh, we had guys from uh, Hanoi Hilton and uh, other different POWs come in and talk with us, and it's always a um, top-tier type of, of uh, training with Special Forces, uh, just like I'm saying there with, with Phase 1. You know, everybody we had was just top-tier. You know, these guys gave, the instructors gave Every bit of themselves, they did. I know it sounds that, that sounds you know kind of corny, but right. they 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 instructed from the heart. They did because they knew what was we were getting ready to face. They and they had just come from that, and they busted their butts to make sure they busted their ass to make sure that that, that we were you know getting these lessons that they had learned in blood, 
and sweat and all. I know it sounds, you know, melodramatic, but this is true. They and they expected the same from you. There wasn't a bunch of uh, uh, BS and 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 backbiting and stuff. You didn't have that. You the one thing I learned in special forces, the most important thing I learned there. You know, you had your soldierly skills, but the most important thing I learned in special forces was teamwork. Everything was teamwork. You worked as a team. You had to trust each other because that's what kept you alive in combat. That's what that's what helped you achieve your mission and your goals and all. And the people that you worked with ended up being the best friends of your life, the best friends I have in the world. And I'm sitting here in my, 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 my living room, and I look on the wall, and I have a picture of what I call the brotherhoods. The three of the, my best friends in the world, my brothers, are all from my, a, my original A-team, ODA-322. A-322. They're, they are the best. Joe, Tony, and Eddie. All these hey, guys. Uh, we're going we're to we're take a station break real quick here, Hank, for about a minute. If you could just hold, and we'll okay. be back. And if you could talk, we're going to talk about what's going on at Fort Bragg uh, now. And, uh, Absolutely. We, try, we, have, we have a couple people calling in. If we can, just hold on. We'll try to take your call here uh, at the end of the show or in about 10 minutes if you can hold on. But hang on, Hank. We're going to take a break here for about one minute. All right. You're listening to U.S. Defense Watch Radio with Chief Warrant Officer Hank Hunt. U.S. Defense Watch Radio. This is the host, Ray Starm, and joining me, my guest today is retired Chief Warrant Officer uh, Henry Hank Hunt, former U.S. Army Green Beret and veteran of Desert Storm with the 7th United States Cavalry. Hank, I'd like to talk to you the rest of the show about um, what's going on at Fort Bragg right now. Um, about you, You're obviously aware of the 14-page the letter that was written by uh, some training cadre down there, correct? Oh, yeah. Almost everybody in SF has, has read that thing. Yeah. Now, now do you, yes, do I you am think very that, aware of it. Do you think that letter was written by one individual or several? What do you think? I think maybe one guy wrote it, but it was a lot of input from, I think, a bunch of other guys there in uh training group or SWIC and all. Uh, it doesn't sound like some, some young NCO or whatever that just happens to – you know, to have a case of the, of the, you know, case of the, the jaws. Case of the ass. You know, yeah. 
Well, I'm trying not to cuss on the radio yeah. too much. Okay. <laughs> That's another thing I learned really well in SF is how to cuss really well. So, but, yeah, an occupational um, specialty. I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably input from quite a few guys, or you know, from several people there and all. And um, whoever wrote it was, you know, you've got kind of a pretty good way with words, really eloquent. So, you know, uh, probably somebody in the Intel committee or something. <laughs> yeah, it, it seemed to me that uh, maybe the person that wrote it was um, yeah, it was pretty well educated, or or the, I, they kind of also insinuated in several other reports that it was uh, several individuals. I'm just gonna. Highlight some points here for the audience. The, he basically starts it out by that the special forces has a cancer destroying the SF legacy. Uh, special the, the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and School has devolved. This is the author's uh, words into a cesspool of toxic, exploitive, biased, and self-serving senior officers who are bolstered by submissive, sycophantic, and just as culpable enlisted leaders. They've doggedly succeeded in two things: furthering the careers and ensuring that special forces is more prolific. Uh, one of the things that uh, they point out in the article is that uh, is something that while we're seeing maybe across the Army is that uh, I think a lot of the warriors have left the military, maybe frustrated with what's been going on in the last maybe 15 years even, 17 years since 2000, and that uh, the people in charge are maybe self-serving, uh, perfume princes, feather merchants, what have you. Um, what, what, the, what, the, what the main point that the author makes this is a 14 page letter of it. Really the main point that they're getting at besides saying that the, uh, the cadre at the uh, JFK center is really not looking out for the future of special forces. The, the highlight of the letter is basically that the standards have become drastically lowered in the sense that the, uh, at the school that there basically are no standards. And I'm going to continue reading from the letter right now. It talks about, um, the authors believe that the standards were lowered to allow women to serve in special forces. Something I've been talking about uh, for a lot of times in my articles on U.S. Defense Watch, the feminization of the military. We had what happened at Rangers School. Um, that's a subject for another day. But I do not believe those three women were graduated, honestly, from uh, Rangers School. And no woman has been able to get through uh, special forces training in the last year and a half. So what does the Army do? Well, they're just going to lower the standards or create no standards so everybody can make it through. Uh, the, uh, the author provided a timeline of events that have seen, sort of snowballed, Hank, into what's been going on. I'm going to read some of this to you. July 2017, Major General Zontag dismisses all Special Forces Orientation Course testable events. Students will take physical tests, but they can no longer be relieved for them as they are considered diagnostics. Students can no longer fail special forces orientation course, except for voluntarily withdrawing or getting injured. So pretty much, Hank, you can't leave there uh, if you can't meet the standards. The only way you leave is uh, on a gurney or in crutches. Uh, I don't think it was that way when you were going through and probably when a lot of other people were going through, was it? Yeah, hell no. No, <laughs> you were you were tested just about every day and so academically or, or, you know, that or physically or psychologically every day. You didn't get um, a chance to to retest continuously and all. Um, if you fell out of a, a run, you know, or whatever, then you might, you know, they, they'd give you a counseling statement or, or tell you, 
you do it once, twice more, you're gone. Uh, you didn't make the uh, the rucksack run when it was it was ten miles in two hours, and it was about fifty five pounds in your ruck. They weighed before and after when you came back and all. You got one, right. re, you know, test maybe. Maybe it just depends if you were, you know, how good of a student you were. If you were, you know, had been, you know, bucking up and trying really hard, you had to pass this this incredibly hard um, uh, obstacle course. It was the hardest one in the U.S. military at the time. There were uh, obstacles out there. If you fell off, you just got killed. That was it. I mean, and, and folks were breaking arms and legs and stuff. Uh, they weren't worried about you wearing a helmet and gloves and all, you went out there and you ran your boots and your fatigues. If you <laughs> fell on top of your head, that was just, hey, I was just uh, the luck of the draw. Folks were breaking their ankles running out there at Camp McCall in the mornings, pitch black dark, and although uh, that was my biggest fear, stepping in a daggum hole, uh, a pothole, and, and twisting my ankle or getting hurt. Um, folks were getting hurt, you know, jumping and everything, and, and, and academically, you better not fail more than one test. I'm talking about you know, going through Q course, or later on I went through operations intelligence course. It's the right. only test, one of the tests I had, that was a four-and-a-half-month-long school. The only test I ever failed in the military was one of my first tests. I made a 68, and I was a sergeant first class, an E7. And uh, they sent me to the to – the, um, OIC, which is a CW4 back then. I would not, you, you didn't have warrant officers do very few in SF, and this was an Intel Special Forces warrant. Ben Peets and Buddy, he he led into my butt. He just he just more or less told me, and I was a senior NCO, and he said, "You fail one more test, Hunt, he said, you're out of here." There was no more seem, recycling, nothing. Does it you know, seem they like, don't uh, do that back then. Well, it was. It seems that things have. Uh, drastically uh, collapse there. Uh, Hank, I'm going to read to you in the audience a little bit more from this uh, letter talking about the, uh, the, the obliteration, I should say, of training standards at, at Bragg. So this is from the timeline from the letter. September 2017, all graded Special Forces Q course, qualification course, PT events, physical training, are, are banned from being conducted. So why <laughs> in the name of God? With the, with the Special Forces... These are the Green Berets are not administering PT tests anymore. Is that because? Well, let me let me continue here. November <laughs> November 2017. Uh, bear with me for a moment. November 2017. The culmination just been announced at graduation for students. Um, oh, here we, we go. Here we go. I'm sorry, I'm going to skip ahead here. November 2017. Students do not need to be able to pass a two mile run at 80% standard. They do not need to pass a five mile run in under 40 minutes. They do not need to be able to pass a 12-mile ruck march in under three hours. They are not required to find any points during their land nav training and assessment. These are the green, the training to be Green Berets. And they do not – here we get another one. They do not need to be able to perform eight pull-ups. Now, we all remember not being able to get in the mess hall unless you can knock out some pull-ups. They do not need to be able to perform 57 push-ups or 66 sit-ups. They are no longer – required to be able to climb a 15-foot rope with weight on. Students are no longer administered any form of physical or administrative punishment. After passing a 19-day selection process, there are no physical barriers to earning the coveted Green Beret. And this is from the letter that was written by either one or several members of Green Beret training cadre, officers, 
the NCOs are enlisted men. And what do you think about that, Hank? <laughs> uh, I think about it probably like every other Special Forces soldier. That's bullshit. <laughs> That's, you exactly. were tested daily. Every day you had some kind of uh, event just about that you had to pass. And if you didn't, you got kicked out. How can you assess what kind of man that uh, or individual that you are when you're going through? How can you assess an individual with a 19-day selection process? Well, apparently I mean, they 19 they, they, days. I wish the hell it would have been night. Good Lord, man. The the there's another. Let me tell you one thing, Ray. This one thing that separated us, and, and this this was uh, this right here was was uh, separated us from so many other units. And it sounds simple, but this is the deal, man. When you get out there in the field, going through training. And you're wearing what we call the 125-pound leech. That's that damn rucksack. And you have to ruck that. You have to ruck and ruck and ruck. You know, and it's you have no sleep, no food, nothing. And you do this for weeks on end. That's what separated us from so many other years. Both folks can't you can't hang. I mean, it's not just a few days or a week here and a week there. No, exactly. It's constant, and it it's it made the difference. It was a, a differentiator that um that like you see in the SAS and with Delta, you know, use is that you know it doesn't sound hard. It's simple stuff. It's tough, and it made the difference or showed the difference between you know, you know who could hang and who couldn't. Hey, hey, but why, when why you get you tired and you get hungry, it gets to a point where no matter how good a shape you're in. You, you, your muscles just are turning to jelly. It doesn't well, make you difference how up? smart you are. Let me finish it. How smart you are. It doesn't, your mind turns numb. It all depends on what kind of heart you have. And that's that's what makes the difference. Is that heart. It goes back into that teamwork. And you watch out for each other and you bust your ass and, and you, you have to work together. And you, you have to reach in and pull something out that, 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 you know, either you got it or you don't, man. You're not going to find that out in 19 days. You're not going to find that out. You're going to find that out when you get out in the field and you're humping that ruck. And then day in and day out, you're in class, you're running, you're, you're, you're jumping, you're, 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 you're doing something physical. It is a extremely, extremely difficult course. I know what I went through and all, most of these other guys before, you know, they went through it's so so difficult and it's not for 19 days it goes out for about eight months to a year or more especially with our medics and all it, hey, it's why, so why hard the, That's a, well, why do you think the army is uh why do you think what do, what do you think the motivational factor is for the uh the special forces to uh to lower the standards i mean it's it seems pretty obvious that, to me that, that is something that is that's beyond me why why would you want to lower the standards why would you want your 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 number one, you know, unit in the U.S. Army, the the top of the tier, the top of the pyramid, special forces? I'm not cracking. I'm not taking anything away from the Ranger regiments and the airborne units and the infantry units. Not they're great guys, and they but the hardest and longest course that you go through is the special forces. You don't go through as a school. I mean, that's an MOS producing you know uh, course and everything. 
Why would you want to lower the standards? If anything, raise the standards. They say they can't get anybody to join. They can get people to join. You've got to get the right recruiters out there, and you've got to make it worth people's efforts to want to be in special forces. You know, it's in uh, this this right now with all – uh, with the letter that's come out and other things, you know, that takes away from us so much um, the prestige and, you know, the, the I reckon, the aura of Special Forces and everything. And uh, But I think that letter is breaking my heart and so many other guys' hearts. I think that letter, there must be something to that. Um, uh, some of those uh, things, how can what you just said – how can you go through a year's worth of training and not be, you know, tested physically on almost, almost a daily basis? How can somebody in that letter, they had one guy that went through demolition school, engineer school, demolition right. engineers, and he, he, he failed the course five or six times. Hi, damn, how can you fail five or six times? I'm not talking about a test. I'm right. talking about the whole course. And, and graduated. Hey, I went through that school. Hey, Master Sergeant Wells, our NCOIC. Good Lord, man, if you failed one test, he'd probably take you out back. I'm not cutting up here. He'd take you out back and kick <clears throat> your ass. I mean, he wouldn't put up with that. And they'd run you out of there so fast. If You know, that, that shows either the guy it doesn't have it between his ears to make it. You know, he's not smart enough right. to make it. Or he just doesn't have it down, you know, deep inside to want to pass. Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, I I hope that the 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 response from the uh, from from Fort Bragg was uh, was pretty interesting. Basically, uh, you know, in the in the sense that the response was basically no response. That everything was fine. Uh, You know, there's uh, no deviation from the standards. But everybody knows what's going on. And I think this uh, finally somebody on active duty has had the the cojones. To, to talk about what's been going on. I mean, it's just, uh, I wrote an article uh, about a year ago, you know, called, you know, Generation Silence, that nobody said anything. But, I mean, we've seen this over and over again. Now we thought special operations was the last bastion against the PC monster, but apparently it isn't. And, Hank, I, like I told you before, the, the standards at, 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 the, at the U.S. Army Special Forces School are now lower than ROTC standards for guys who are just going through ROTC in college in the 80s. Uh, Hank, we've got a caller uh, that's been holding for about 18 minutes. I'm going to go put the caller on and see what he has. Just hang on, will you? All right. Okay. Uh, go ahead. You're Hello? live on U.S. Defense Watch Radio. You're live yes, with uh, uh, Ray Sturman. Hey, Ray. Thank you very much for putting this on. I'm a Special Forces veteran. I, I went uh, after the course from uh, – Chief Hunt. My name's uh, I'll give my name's Bill Davis, and uh, sure. combat Thanks, veteran. Bill. What I'm wor- what I'm worried about is the special forces answer to the problem. They're going after the guy who wrote the letter instead of answering the letter. And this letter was sent out to special forces active and veterans. It means a lot to us. But shoot the messenger. That's what I'm worried about, and a lot of us are worried about in special forces. They're going after a guy. Who went up, you know, told a lot of told the truth, you know, read, read through what he read. I mean, I mean, he facts and everything, and he stood up and he went ahead and, and did the right thing. And now, special forces, the command is trying to find out who did it. 
So let's say they find the guy. What's going to happen to him? Is he going to get a Legion of Merit promoted? No. They're going to they're going to crucify him, shoot the messenger. Well, Instead that's of what putting happened, all Bill, the eggs in. That, that's what happened that? with the Rangers school, the, uh, the whistleblowers. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were terrified to uh, say anything. And I'll tell you that Susan uh, Keating is a uh, freelance journalist, works for Real Clear Politics. She, she yeah. broke that story. And uh, that, was real, that is a subject for another day. But it's the same thing well, is that you know, people exactly. were terrified. It's, it's, a, it's a parallel. It's a parallel. You know, we're all in it together. Let's do the right thing. Let, let's, 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 let's correct the problem. Let's not be politically correct. Let's go ahead and do the right thing. Be a man, you know, stand up and, uh, and say, hey, we got some problems. And let's get away from the numbers game and the politically correct game. And that's what's going on right now. And I want to thank you very much for, for putting this on and, and airing, airing, I hate to say it, dirty laundry. Now, they talk about quiet professionals. Well, it's time in special forces that we, need, we don't need to be quiet about this. This is, this is really, like he said, a cancer. And it bothers me. Now, I went through in 1979 the Q course, several years after Chief Hunt, and uh, I can echo the same type of thing. The thing is, in SFs back then, they're better trained now, no doubt about it. There's a lot more money. They've got a lot more things to do, but it's still the same thing. You've got to be in shape. Go through the course for 19 days, and then what? Sit around and, and don't do any more PT, and then get to a team after a year later. You're out of shape. Right. You can't hunt the rock. It's, you well, know, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. And one of the things that I was so, going to point out to, uh, to, to Chief Hunt, to the Hank, is that uh, apparently they've dropped the uh, language uh, re- requirement. Uh, I don't know how many weeks that, that was, the language course. It, but, it depends uh, what, lang- it, it depends what yeah, language. Yeah, it depends on now, what language. We went, there was no money. Back then, uh-huh. we, there was no Special Forces Command. You know, Special Forces is an, is, was under the 18th Airborne Corps, if you can believe that. Uh, one general, you know, and incur- now right. it's an institution. They've got so it, it's gotten so big, and so uh, top heavy, and I think that's the problem right now. I think a lot of careerists, you know, uh, when the good fairy ideas come in and they're they're shoving it down these guys' throat, and finally someone had enough uh, moral uh, intestitude uh, in to go ahead and do the right thing and say the right thing and write the right thing, and that's where we're at today. Hey, um- so what are we Ray gonna do? Ray and uh, Bill. Yeah, how you doing, yeah. Bill? Hey, yeah, boy. Uh, yeah, boy. Go ahead, sure. um, real quick, like with uh, what happened is what Bill just said. Um, when when we were in special forces, as a as a officer, um, and as an NCO, but as an officer for sure, it was a it was it was career suicide. In the sense that if you came into special forces, the very best you could ever hope to attain would probably be lieutenant colonel. Very, very few colonels. They were the Old group cap. commanders. They were gods. Chief. And one, one, one-star general. That was it. Most of the guys had the very best they could ever hope to achieve as an officer, as a lieutenant colonel. And so right. the guys would come in knowing they're not going to get promoted because of the way the, the, the rank structure was in SF. And those were guys, those officers, the ones that I've trained with and lived with and all, uh, they were the best of the best because you knew they were there for special forces. They weren't there to punch a ticket and to move forward and everything. They were there because they wanted to be Green Brace. That was it. And the same with NCOs. You go to the teams, and there's a lot of rank in the teams, 
But the thing is, the guys stay the same rank. When you make like sergeant first class, I made sergeant first class in seven years. I mean, that was at that time was really fast. And uh, but that was it. I hit the ceiling. The next rank is E8 or master sergeant, and that's a team sergeant. You're going to have to wait quite a while before you make, you know, the before you have the qualifications to, and the maturity and the training and whatever to become a team sergeant. But guys were happy with that. They'd stay at E7. Right. They'd be at E7 10 years or more just to stay on the team. They were there for special forces. The officers were there for special forces. The officers watched over each other. They weren't so much – you know, in competition with each other and stabbing each other in the back. And I'm talking as an officer and seeing how, right. you know, people, you know, you know, try or you have so much competition and a zero tolerance for, for anything bad on your OER. If you don't have a stellar OER and then you're the very top, you're not going to get promoted today's army. That's, that's one of the problems right there is that, the, but the SF officers, they had one of the one of the other words I use here is trust. They were trusted by all of the men there. There, you always had a knucklehead here and there, but all in all, the special forces officers, they had what the you know from the other men. They had the trust because they knew they were there for special forces. Just like well, the like I, trust. Like, like I said, uh, and, and we actually uh, we, we're running out of time here, gentlemen. But uh, right now, at Special Forces School, the standards are lower than an ROTC cadet would have seen in the 80s. Think about that. I mean, it's and, and Bill, Bill I, I we actually might pick this up again. This is this is a big topic. But thank you for calling in. I'm going to have to let you go, Hank. If you thank can you hang on much, for a Ray. second. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank All you for right. your service. Thank you. Thanks, thank Bill. You. And, uh, Hank, thanks for joining us. We'd like to have you on again to talk about maybe the same subject and a myriad of different military stuff. And appreciate you joining us. I'm going to have to let you go. And uh, have a good night. And uh, Hey, Ray, thanks for bringing – hey, thanks for uh, coming out, you know, and and having us on your show and and letting us talk. I know long-winded and everything, but, you know, the the best of the best is Special Forces, man. And they're – Amen. You take care, Ray. We'll have you on again, Hank. Thank you. Have a good night. Gary on. All right. Out there. And that was a, uh, like I said, Chief Warrant Officer Henry Hunt, retired from U.S. Army Green Berets, and Mr. Bill Davis, who called in. This is a a gigantic topic, and it's what I've been talking about and writing about now for a couple of years about the political correctness in the military. It's not a joke anymore. It's now reached the point where the Green Berets have no training standards physically. You cannot get kicked out of special forces training for not being able to do, to make the cut physically. Think about that. The Green Berets are the Green Berets for a reason, one reason only. We'll see you next uh, next time on U.S. Defense Watch. This is uh, U.S. Defense Watch Radio. This is Ray Starman. Bye-bye. For over a thousand years, Roman conquerors returning from the wars enjoyed the honor of a triumph, a tumultuous parade. In the procession came trumpeters and musicians and strange animals from the conquered territories, together with carts laden with treasure and captured armaments. The conqueror rode in a triumphal chariot, the dazed prisoners walking in chains before him. 
Sometimes his children, robed in white, stood with him in the chariot or rode the trace horses. A slave stood behind the conqueror, holding a golden crown and whispering in his ear a warning that all glory is fleeting. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.